0: Last time we saw several important truths about healing, we noted that God's healing power is really a beautiful display of His mercy and His graciousness, and I hope that that does not get lost in the midst of everything that we're teaching. God is so merciful and gracious. He is, after all, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer, and we depend on Him. Unfortunately, there are some in the church who have abused this beautiful act of God and have set people up with some wrong expectations. And those wrong expectations can end up damaging the faith of some who believe that no matter what and no matter when or where, they're always going to be healed. So what we're doing in these, this two-part series is listening carefully to the Scripture to try to gain a more accurate understanding of God's healing ministry. We noted last time, if you were here, that your theology really needs to advance beyond, and you may hear this in different places, the equivalent of something like this. God wants me to be well, but Satan wants me to be sick. It is true, of course, that God builds up. God makes things beautiful. It is true that the devil comes only to kill and steal and destroy, as Jesus said in John 10.10. But that is woefully inadequate to explain all God's involvement with sickness. The truth is we live in a cursed world. If you don't Know that by now you will when you grow a little older and you realize things just don't always work out the way you want them to. And so we experience a measure of God's judgment and also His mercy. And therefore, God is involved in healing and God is also involved in striking people with diseases. We read last time Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1, just as one example among many. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, but He will heal us. He has wounded us, but He will bandage us. He's involved on both sides of the equation. Many times, God is said to have an involvement with disease, either by directly afflicting afflicting people with uh, some disease, even His own people at times, or by a sickness that just comes out of the natural consequences of living in a fallen world. Remember the warning that was given to Adam in the garden, the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will what? You will surely die. And so you get to death first by a lot of disease, and so disease is part of that equation. On the other hand, and if we understand all of that, we dare not try to limit God or His power. We don't want to doubt His love for us or His ability to do uh, anything that He desires to do. Luke chapter 1 and verse 37 speaks for itself, for nothing will be impossible with God. So we have to always be praising God for His healing activity in this sick, dark, and dying world. Healing is a merciful gift from God, but it is not automatic. It is not guaranteed in every circumstance. Today, we kind of complete what we started last time by looking at truths about healing. And we're going to be focusing on the second act of healing that Peter did in the account, um, We're in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43, so open there if you haven't already. I'll read it through, and then we'll focus on the second part of it. Acts 9, 32 through 43. Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas... Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Well, just as a review, the first beautiful healing account of Aeneas was in verses 32 through 35, and uh, we learned several truths about healing from that. I want to review that with you. First, God's healing was done indiscriminately. In other words, God was willing to heal anybody, even unbelievers, and that proves that faith was not always needed for a person to be healed by God. Second, New Testament healing was accomplished largely by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. We Remember reading 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 that says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. To be an apostle of Jesus Christ, of course, you had to be hand-selected by the Lord Jesus in the first century so you could be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ at the very beginning of the church. And that's why there are no apostles in the church today, and why the vast majority of healings that we read about in the New Testament are not for today. Contrary to popular sentiment, the New Testament church was not a miracle-working church. What it had was miracle-working apostles who were specially endowed by the Lord Jesus Christ for these kinds of ministries." The third truth about healing, we learn, was sometimes healing was sought after by the sick person, but other times healing was just brought to the person, and so their healing was completely unexpected. A fourth truth was that God's healings are organic. They're not merely psychological. The man was bedridden eight years. He was said to be paralyzed. Dorcas was dead. That sounds like an organic kind of a, a happening that happened to her. It wasn't just in her head. And these were not healings, in other words, that could be faked. They were undeniable miracles of the organic nature. The fifth truth that we learned is that the power behind all of these healings was not some trick and not some psychological maneuver, not some great healing service, but the power was Jesus Christ himself because Peter made that clear when he said, Jesus Christ heals you. wasn't Peter healing, Right? The sixth truth is that healing was instant. It states that clearly, it says, immediately, Aeneas was healed. In other words, when God performs a miraculous healing, there's no such thing as a gradual healing. It happens immediately. The seventh truth we learned was that healing is complete. It's never partial. Peter told the man to get up, and what happened? Well, he got up. And how is that possible? Because none of the remaining sickness in his body, nothing that had debilitated him remained. His legs were strong, his back was strong, his sense of balance was immediately given to him. Everything was instantly set right. And then eighth and last from last time, healing, and this might be the most important thing to learn about it, is that healing was a sign, healing was a sign used to authenticate new revelation from God that was being given by the apostles and by Jesus. In other words, there was a new era that they were entering into, and there was a whole new burst of revelation, we call it our New Testament, that was being given to mankind. And in order to know that that was truly of God, God backed it up with sort of His fingerprint of miracles. And a lot of these healings were to endorse that doctrine. It validated the gospel. If you miss that truth about healing, frankly, you miss the context of almost all New Testament healings. Now, today we're going to build off of those eight truths, and we're going to learn four more truths about healing, four more truths about healing. And we look at the second healing account in order to learn those truths, verses 36 through 43. First, in this passage, we're going to meet the woman who was healed. Look again at verses 36 and 37, if you would, and I'll read it. Now, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. So the scene shifts from the town of Lydda to the town of Joppa. But we are still along the Mediterranean coast. Joppa is mentioned often in the Old Testament, maybe most notably in Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, because this is the port where Jonah tried and did get a ship in order to run away from the presence of the Lord. Because it is a port town... We will hear of Joppa again in the book of Acts as various movements of missionaries happens back and forth. Unlike Lydda, however, Joppa was said to have many Gentiles in it. So from this, we continue to see Luke's narrative is expanding the movement of the gospel and we see it's moving outward into regions that would have more and more Gentiles. Now, we don't see the full-blown acceptance of the gospel among the Gentiles until we get to Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, and then on into chapter 12 and 13. But right now you get a little glimpse that that is the direction that the gospel was moving. Now, in this Joppa, we meet a precious female disciple. Even the term for disciple there in Greek is in the feminine, And her name is Tabitha in Hebrew, which means a deer or a gazelle. And so does the word Dorcas, which is the same name in Greek. In the book of Acts... The designation disciple means a true believer. Sometimes when you're reading in the four gospels, you hear the word disciple, and what that means is someone who was following Jesus at that time, but many of the disciples would fall back and would no longer follow the Lord anymore. So you can't say a disciple equaled a saved person, but most of the time in the book of Acts, when you see that someone is called a disciple, it means they were a true disciple. They really did follow the Lord. Now, I hope all of you will take note of this woman. Here she is. She's a believer in the Lord Jesus. She's heard the good news about Jesus. Christ died on the cross for her sins. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. She believes it. She gives her life over to the Lord. And now she has been known as a noteworthy disciple in her town. She's noteworthy because of what she did. For the good deeds that she performed among them. You know, I I hope that that kind of rings in your heart a little bit because that could be true of you. In order to be a noteworthy disciple at Hope Bible Church or at any other church, what do you need to do? And the answer is just get busy doing a whole lot of good works for other people because that is what this woman did, and that's why we know about her. You too can make a name for yourself in the Christian community the same way. She was not well-known for speaking eloquently. She wasn't known for for having some showy uh, spiritual gift. She didn't try to hog the limelight or anything like that. She just labored to serve other people through acts of charity and kindness. That's kind of behind the scenes, isn't it? In fact, Luke states that she abounded in deeds of kindness and charity. Abounded is the word play-race. It means full. Her life was full of deeds that benefited other people. Once again, we see in the narrative in the book of Acts that wherever the gospel of Jesus went, guess what followed along with it? Acts of kindness and charity and benevolence towards other people, right? And why is that? Because the fruit that is coming from the lives of these believers is really the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? You don't find kind and caring and sacrificial and humble servants outside the church of Jesus, not even today. Instead, the world is is cold and it's hard. At best, you'll see a nice smile and a handshake from someone that's trying to make a sale to you or to get a good evaluation when you're done using whatever service they have. But where the Spirit of Jesus resides, as we saw in Acts chapter 2, We saw it in Acts chapter 5, the community voluntarily shared their belongings with one another and looked after each other. The love of God inside of believers results particularly in acts of kindness towards those in need, towards those who are suffering. Active love is a mark of a healthy congregation. And I thank God that there are many people at Hope Bible Church that are active in demonstrating their love towards other people in this congregation, including towards me and my family. Well, Dorcas showed love, not, not just with good wishes, you know, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, but actually doing something tangibly to help other people. She lived out the truth, the truth that is written in 1 John chapter 3, and verse 19, little children, let us not love with, do you remember, word or tongue, But with deed and truth. Now, we don't know a lot about Dorcas beyond her heart of giving. She may have been a wealthier woman with a lot of available time and resources to serve the poorer ones in Joppa. She did have an upper room in her home, it appears, and that may indicate that she had some wealth. Her home may have even been where the Christians were meeting weekly for their worship services. Wealthy or not, We know she was a believer, and we know she made an impact on her community, and we know she was beloved by that community. Because we live in a more affluent society here in America, we may forget that these acts of charity were greatly needed in the early church. And she did them, it says, continuously. That's the description of her ministry. She did it continuously. She was dedicated to this ministry especially, it appears, to help the widows who were standing by her body and weeping, right? It notes that down in verse 39. You know, the care for widows was very important in the early church. We learned that back in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 and following. We also know that because what is written in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and following. Care for the widows. They were some of the more vulnerable in society. This was a great woman. This was a great woman obeying Christ. There's a book called All the Women of the Bible, and it describes Dorcas this way. I'll quote it. Benevolent, compassionate, and devout woman that she was, Dorcas gave so generously of herself to others that her name today, almost 2,000 years later, is synonymous with acts of charity. With her sewing needle as her tool and her home as her workshop, she established a service that has reached to the far corners of the earth. Though the Bible does not record exact details, we can be sure that Dorcas, with her nimble fingers, stitched layettes for babies, made cloaks, robes, sandals, and other wearing apparel for poverty stricken widows, the sick, and the aged. Dorcas had great compassion for the widows and the fatherless. And people loved her because of her magnificent qualities of mind and heart. Ladies, doesn't that sound like someone you would like to be known for, someone to be known like that? Isn't that beautiful? To have such a reputation that if you suddenly got sick and died, God forbid, that people would greatly miss you because you were not self-focused, you were not lazy, but you met people's needs. Wouldn't that be wonderful if it was said of you? Someone once told me, you need to live so as to be missed. That is how Tabitha lived. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, it says in the song, uh, then you need to what? You need to be the servant of all. So look around you. See the hurt. Perceive the need that is there. And bring your skill to bear and meet needs. And by the way, teach your children to meet those needs as well, because that is true Christian education. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10 urges Christians to be bearing fruit in every good work. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Titus 3 and verse 8 adds, those who have believed God should be careful to engage in good deeds. You have to be careful about it. You have to think it through. You have to plan for it. That's what she did. Dr. John MacArthur notes this about women in ministry. He writes, Many believe that to deny women's leadership roles in the church is to deny women the opportunity to minister. Nothing could be further from the truth. Dorcas neither preached nor led the newly born church, yet her ministry in the Joppa church was so crucial as to endear her to all. She had a profound impact just in this ministry that she had. But then, something tragic happened. She fell deathly sick. And all of the people in Joppa who might get sick and then die, she is probably the one that people wanted the least to lose. I mean, you could... Maybe you find a few selfish drunks, and you'd say you'd rather them get you know diseased and die. You know, this person can convey a benefit on the world if he just simply gets out of the way and dies. He's such a pain. But not this woman. This woman would be one of the last ones they would want to get sick and to die. Sometimes life seems so unfair, does it not? Those who follow the Lord suffer, and they suffer badly. While those who live arrogantly and promote themselves and parade their tongues, they seem to, well, they seem to flourish. We're not given any details of the kind of sickness that Tabitha had, just that she fell sick and died. The way it's written seems to indicate that it was a very bad sickness and that it came upon her very quickly. That brings us to healing truth number nine, if you want to write it down. Healing truth number nine, God can heal any kind of disease. God can heal any kind of disease. It does not matter what it is, even death itself. There were many times in Jesus' healing ministry where it notes this very thing. In Matthew 4, 23, for example, Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing, here it is, every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. You name it, He healed it. Any virus, any rare disease, does not matter. Just bring them to Jesus, put them at His feet, and He healed them. They have a show, a new show that's running on TV now. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's called Chasing the Cure. Chasing the Cure. And uh, looked it up and kind of describes its show this way. It says, to help people suffering from undiagnosed, misdiagnosed, or uncured medical mysteries. This live series links patients with medical experts and a community of medical detectives. Sounds like a great idea. You know, people suffer from all kinds of things out there. If you could get people to be matched up right, maybe somebody will be healed. But Jesus doesn't really need any of that, does He? He doesn't need to consult any medical expert. He just says, just bring them right here and set them down, and it doesn't matter. He doesn't need a name for it. He just rebukes it, and it's gone, right? Right? Not even death itself inhibits the powerful gift of healing flowing from Christ and that he put on his apostles. The modern, phony faith healers would not even attempt to raise a dead person, right? That might destroy their shtick there. But God's servant, Peter, knew the power of Jesus Christ to heal anything, so he wasn't afraid. Now, it is true that her death brought sadness to the community of believers, for she did so much to help other people. At first, the locals were dismayed that such an evil would happen to such a sweet and caring lady. But this group of believers had a divinely inspired idea, I think. They were not really ready to let go. They were not really ready to say goodbye to Dorcas. Instead, they washed her body and they laid her body in the upper room. That's curious. Because evidently, that was not the usual practice for the Jews in burial. Burial of the body in the ground usually happened rather quickly. We saw that with a sudden judgmental death against Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, in chapter 5 of Acts. Well, next, we read how the healer was brought to Tabitha in verses 38 and 39. Look at that, verse 38. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. Verse 39, so Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. Okay, so these believers were holding out some hope for a healing, yes, even for a resurrection. The positioning of the body in the upper room, the hasty call for Peter indicates that they prayed for and expected here a miracle. This was a congregation robust in their confidence in the power of God to heal. In other words, they put two and two together. The traveling of a key apostle like Peter would not have gone unnoticed in the broader church, and so they must have thought to themselves, hey, this woman just just died, and we love her, and Peter is nearby, and we've heard of his healing power, so that's putting two and two together, and they said, this can't be a coincidence, and so they immediately dispatched two men who were probably swift foot, to get to Lydda quickly and get Peter back to heal her. When these men arrived in Lydda, they implored Peter, come quickly. Now, this is a little bit curious. Some have wondered... Since Dorcas was already dead when they left, what was the rush to get Peter back? Maybe they were worried that decay would set in and they didn't want that to happen to Dorcas. There was a belief among some of the Jews that the spirit of a person would hang around the body or in the body or next to the body for two or three days after the body died before it would journey on to the afterlife. Whatever they were thinking They believed if there was to be a miracle, it needed to happen quickly. And so Peter's response to them was quick and was kind as well. He said he would go with them. Isn't that wonderful? By the way, there's a little lesson there for leaders. Leaders, it is always our job to be serving the needs of the people, right? Dropped everything he was doing and he went and he served the people. That mighty Peter had learned from his Lord Jesus to get down on his knees and wash the dirty feet of the disciples. He'd learned the lesson. In fact, later, when he writes his first epistle, Peter would write in chapter 1 Peter 1, uh, 1 Peter 1, fervently love one another from the heart. That's what he was doing here. Well, the travel back to Joppa went quickly too, and when he arrived, they wasted no time. They took him straight to the house and then straight up the stairs to the upper room where she still lay. The only pause was for Peter to see all the samples of the tunics and the cloaks that she skillfully and lovingly had made for people in need. And I think as Peter kind of held his hand out and he touched each of the garments, I think, as he looked at the skill and everything, he connected with that congregation and he connected with why they loved this woman so much. And so third, we reach climactically, We learn about the healing itself, and that's in verse 40 through 43. And this is so good. Please focus on this. Verses 40 through 43. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. How precious is that? And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. This was truly remarkable. No, this was a stunning miracle. Can you imagine being one of those widows out in the hallway or downstairs, wherever they were waiting, standing by, and then seeing Dorcas come out of the room, smiling at them once again. Can you imagine the joy they had? Now, why Peter sent them out of the room before the miracle is not stated. It's not clear. This is actually similar to a miracle that Jesus did when he raised a little girl from the dead in Luke chapter 8 and verse 51, but When Jesus sent those people out of the room, it's because they were laughing at Jesus when he told them, don't weep, the girl is only sleeping. And so they laughed and laughed and laughed at him and he sent them out of the room. But here the people are believing and the people have called for Peter because of their faith. Well, it may be that Peter thought that having too many people around would be frightening to Dorcas when she came to, I mean, <laughs> to die and come back to life again. That's not something we do every day. Or he may have wanted to concentrate on his prayers, or he just wanted them to get the focus off of him and on the power of God. Whatever the reason, Peter cleared the room. Now another account, a similar account, occurs in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verses 19 through 24. There the prophet Elijah knelt beside the widow's boy, who had died suddenly and had upset the widow, and he took her to the upper room, him to the upper room, I mean, and he prayed humbly next to the boy, and actually prayed over the boy, that the life of the boy would return to him. That seems to be what Peter is imitating right here. Peter's kneeling posture at his prayer reveals the humble condition of his own heart. He is there to pray. He is there not to demand anything from God. He is there to beg God's graciousness. And that brings us to healing truth number 10. And please write this down. Healing truth number 10, those seeking healing must be humble before God, never demanding of God, never demanding of God. You know, there are those who appear to exercise very strong faith because they they pray loudly and they claim a victory and they claim a healing from God. And you hear a prayer like that, you're like, wow, maybe they've got some kind of an inside track to God that I don't have. And that can be intimidating. But you never demand anything from Almighty God. That is not an appropriate way to pray. pray. Jesus never taught His disciples to pray that way. You never find an example of prayer like that in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit never inspires someone to pray like that. God would have us petition Him for healing, right? But never lay claim to it. Just because you are a child of God and He has set His love on you and given you a high status in His kingdom does not mean you demand things from your Father. You leave it up to His graciousness. You leave it up to His wisdom. Can you imagine a son or a daughter walking up to you and saying, Father, since I am your son, I demand you do this? I don't think a father would be glorified in that. Give the Father the opportunity to express His wisdom. Give Him the opportunity to express His graciousness. And and do it the way He wants to do it, right? You must be willing to accept suffering from the hand of God until He chooses to heal. Because you know that God can use your sickness as a trial to chasten you. As it says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 7 through 11, as a father, God chastens us for our own good so that we may share in his holiness, right? Or if it's not chastening, then God can use that sickness to complete our character, as it says in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. We're not yet perfect in Christ-like character, and so he uses various kinds of trials to bring that about. Or... Our very wise heavenly Father can use sickness as a way to refine our faith and clean out all of the elements that that are not good in our lives still. Which to God, when He refines our faith, our faith is more precious to Him than gold, which is perishable. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. Listen, ultimately, everybody that has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to be healed by God. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 declares, By Christ's wounds you were healed. But that healing now is primarily a spiritual healing, as the context of 1 Peter chapter 2 makes so clear. It talks about the forgiveness of our sins in 1 Peter chapter 2. It it talks about Christ carrying in His body on the cross our sins. The full physical healing that we desire is what we get when we get the body resurrected from the dead. That's what the bodily resurrection is all about. That's why the bodily resurrection ought to be such a big deal to us as believers. To receive a brand new body that will never get sick again will never be subject to death is a most gracious gift flowing from a generous heavenly Father and from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and that's something to look forward to. Well, that also brings us to healing truth number 11. Healing truth number 11. Some healing is done not by the miraculous gift of healing, but in response to prayers, in response to prayers. We glean this in part from Peter's example of praying and Elijah's example of praying as well. But since Peter did have the gift of healing, this doctrine is mainly developed in a different text in James chapter 5 and verses 14 through 16. We'd have to kind of go off text to understand this, but we don't have time to go there right now, but I'll give a summary of it. In James 5, it says that a man... Who is sick or a woman that is sick in the church can call for the elders of the church, and the elders can come and anoint him or her with oil and collectively pray in faith for the person who is sick, usually laying on a bed, and that the prayer that is offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and God will raise him up. And so James exhorts believers, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Following the prayer of faith, God can raise someone up immediately. They don't have to have the gift of healing as they had in the early church. God can still do that immediately, and God can still do that miraculously. More often than not, however, When we pray for someone like that, God heals them through natural means, by the use of medicine and by the use of doctors, and that happens more gradually. But not all that elders pray for are healed all the time. Even there, we have to leave it up to the gracious hand of God, even with prayer and with faith. One proof of that is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20 where Paul, who had a lot of these traveling companions, was writing to Timothy and he said, I had to leave Trophimus behind at Miletus because he was sick. In other words, the great apostle Paul, though he also had the gift of healing, couldn't even use his gift of healing to raise one of the great workers for Christ, Trophimus, but had to leave him there to recover naturally. We elders at Hope Bible Church have prayed for healing, I don't know, for approximately five very, very sick people at our church over the years. And we have seen the Lord remove ailments from people, and and it's inexplicable how that happened. We don't have an answer, and in some cases, the doctor had no answer. But we have also seen people that we we have ardently prayed for die and go on to be with the Lord. Recently, Susan and I were blessed by the other elders coming to our home, and the deacons, all of them, came as well, and they laid hands on me, and they prayed for me, and they anointed me with oil, and they prayed fervently that, you know, God would heal, but nevertheless, God's will be done. And so we wait. We wait on the Lord. We wait on His gracious care. We believe that in all things, one way or the other, the Father will be gracious to all of us. Well, back to the text. Next, Peter did what would be considered, I think, insane if it were not for the power of Jesus Christ. All alone in that room, he spoke to the dead body, to Tabitha, and he told her, arise. Most of us don't spend time talking to dead corpses. And if you are, then you need to go to counseling. <laughs> soon. but Peter expected to be heard. This is very similar to what Jesus did to that little girl when he looked at her dead body and said, child, arise. And it says her spirit returned to her and she woke up. And Jesus, of course, presented her alive to those people who were shocked Here, Tabitha was simply told to arise. From other verses, we have to believe that her soul would not have hung around her body, but her soul had already departed from the body. Remember what James 2.26 says, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. When the spirit leaves the body, that's when you really are dead. I tell you, I had to really wonder about this. If you got to take a few steps in paradise, as Dorcas did, if you got to see even a tiny little glimpse of glory, would you ever want to come back to a world like this? (laughs) Sue and I have been reading a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. I highly recommend it. And I'll tell you this. Paul was right. To depart and to be with Christ is very much better. <laughs> Philippians 1.23. It would be hard to see how this healing was advantageous for Dorcas. Now, she was gone. Her labor was over. She was enjoying fellowship with her Redeemer. She heard things that were unspeakable and saw things that were unimaginable. And what happened on the other end there? We don't get told everything in the Bible, you know? Did God look at her and say, I know you like it up here, but I got news for you. I'm sending you back. I don't know how it happened. I don't. But I tried to think it through a little. I could tell you, if any of you have the gift of raising someone from the dead and I'm gone, just leave it be, okay? (laughs) Just leave it be. (laughs) Yet the next thing she knows is she's back in her body. And the first face she sees is of the man God used to heal her, Peter. And she sits up. And notice again, her healing was through and through. It was organic. It was immediate. It was miraculous, just like we learned last time, the same kind of healing, right? No more disease. And Peter extended his servant hand to her, And she latched on, and he raised her up, and he pulled her all the way up, and in her own strength, immediately, she stood up. She had her balance. She had her wits about her. She didn't need to be on an IV for another 24 hours. This is God healing. People call this a resurrection. But some theologians distinguish this from the kind of resurrection that Jesus had. Jesus had a resurrection, never to die again. That's what it says in Romans 6, 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. That's the kind of resurrection he got. However, one day, we hope it was many days later, Dorcas, Tabitha, died again. Why? Why? Because she did not get a resurrected body. She got a healed old body. That is why theologians call this a resuscitation. Not the way the medical community would use it. But to mean the kind of resurrection that will result in death again. Because the body is not transformed to be the kind of body you have to have to get into everlasting glory. But it was thoroughly healed. So she could have played basketball if the game was invented back then, but it wasn't. You got my point. Next, Peter presented Dorcas alive from the dead to the others, and I imagine that the shouts of joy at her resuscitation were louder than the mournful cries at her death. This woman who had cared for so many was now cared for and embraced by so many. They had been expecting a momentous miracle, and they were not disappointed. Sometimes our faith turns into sight, and God grants it, and it's a glorious thing when it happens. You know, we always leave room for the sovereign plan of God when it comes to someone who's sick. But these believers wanted her back. And in this case, God agreed to their petition. And that leads us to our last healing truth, healing truth number 12, healing provides a service to the church so that people can continue their useful ministry. Healing provides a service to the church so that people can continue their useful ministry. Tabitha could continue her ministry of caring for the poor in Joppa, caring for the widows in the church, and I'm sure she did that. I'm sure she felt for the rest of her life how much her ministry was appreciated. I can imagine a poor mother walking along the streets of Joppa with her children and one of the little kids tugging at mom's robe and saying, Mother, is that the woman who was raised from the dead? Yes, sweetie, she is very special in our town. Well, can I go and meet her? Will she make something nice for me? And she must have been the talk of the town. And that leads to another truth, which I actually stated back on the number 8, so it's not number 13, but just to reiterate... The number eight one, and that is that miraculous healings were a sign from God, revealing new truth given to the world through Jesus and the apostles. The healing was a sign to all of the people of Joppa, and that's why so many of them converted to Christianity and became believers in Christ. They embraced the truth because they saw the truth of the miracle. And everywhere in Jesus' healing ministries and in the apostles' healing ministries, we see them always connected to the revealing of new truth and to the work of evangelism. John 2.23, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in His name, observing His signs, which He was doing. Miracles. John 20. 30 through 31, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, that is in the Gospel of John, but these have been written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Same thing with the apostles, Acts chapter 14, verse 3, therefore the apostles spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who is testifying to the word of His grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hand. Who is this person that is doing miracles? Better listen to what he has to say. And that's the point. That's the point of the majority of the healings in the New Testament, to point to Christ at the foundation of the church and let everyone know Christ really is the king. He really is God in human flesh, and he really has a kingdom. His kingdom is coming, and when his kingdom comes, all diseases will be wiped away. But not now. Now it is necessary that we experience various trials. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Even the greatest saints of God in the Bible all grew old and died. And their bodies were not healed. Old age is one failure of the body after another failure of the body. And that is just a fact. They were not healed. But in the future, they and us will all be healed. We will be with Christ And Christ will always provide perfect health. And boy, do I look forward to that. In Revelation 22, 2, speaking of the new heaven and the new earth, when they're joined together, it says this, on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit. I want to taste all of them. (laughs) That was my comment. That's not in the Bible. (laughs) Yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree, the leaves of the tree, We're for the healing of the nations. Praise God, praise God, and praise God for his healing ministry. It's a beautiful ministry. We note that Peter stayed many days in Joppa with Simon the Tanner, and we're gonna meet him again in the future, so we'll say more about him next time. Bow with me, and let's give thanks. Father in heaven, thank you for your love toward us. Remind us that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that your healing hand will eventually be upon every one of us and that by faith in your son, we can endure the present trials and be a good testimony and let you work in our lives. And we thank you, Father, for these miraculous foretastes of the kingdom to come. These are signs of the kingdom age and we are excited about proclaiming the kingdom now and entering into the full visible kingdom in the future. For Christ's sake, We have preached and we have prayed, amen.